Welcome to Radioactive. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for plugging into your community tonight with us. Radioactive, a show for grassroots activists, community builders, punk rock farmers, and DIY creatives. Due to the snow, we have pre-recorded tonight's show. Later tonight, Nick Burns in conversation with members of the Greater Salt Lake Alumni Chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority, part of the Divine Nine. They're celebrating 35 years in Utah. Joining him for that conversation will be Dr. Tamara Stevenson, a radioactive co-host emeritus, but she's also the vice president of diversity, equity, and inclusion and the chief diversity officer at Westminster College. Her fellow sorors, Bettina Smith Edmondson, who sits on the Layton City Council, and Dr. Christina Mahan Reynolds, president of the chapter and principal of Hillcrest Junior High in Murray. And this weekend, they'll be exploring the status of black women in the state with remarks from sorority member and Utah State Representative Sandra Hollins. All of that coming up later this hour. Hope you're doing okay after the day of snowmageddon that we have had. It unfortunately led to the cancellation of the Don't Mess With My Healthcare rally that was planned for this afternoon at the Capitol. Still waiting to hear on a date and time for that to come back. And John Arthur, who teaches sixth grade at Meadowlark Elementary in Salt Lake, was gonna bring a bunch of his students in tonight because of the storm. We have rescheduled for next Wednesday. But earlier this afternoon, I got John on Zoom along with fellow educators, Jen Wozniak and James Tobler, all of the Salt Lake Education Association, to share their disappointment is too mild a word with lawmakers when it comes to HB 215. They and other educators and allies are planning a rally at the Capitol on Friday afternoon. Stay tuned for details and let's pass that microphone to find out what they really think about lawmakers and their intentions toward public education. My name is John Arthur. I'm a sixth grade teacher at Meadowlark Elementary in Salt Lake City. I was also the 2021 Utah Teacher of the Year, and this is my 10th year in the classroom. I'm in the double digits now. Wow. And you're part of the Salt Lake Education Association. Describe that for us. Yeah, absolutely. So in our district in particular, we have a strong association. We're, We're connected to the Utah Education Association and the National Education Association. But in our local, we have a really strong group of leaders who are able to Uh, every year negotiate with our our district. We've got a lot of good faith between us all and uh, a good working agreement that allows us to make decisions, especially at the school level, that really benefit students, our school communities, and uh, our educators. So this legislative session, I don't know if a lot of folks were prepared for um, lawmakers to come out of the gate with the quiet parts out loud, hitting the controversial stuff right at the start of the session instead of waiting for the last minute. And one of those pieces is what's known as House Bill 215. How would you describe this bill? 215 is a voucher bill, but it's it's the evolution of a bill that failed last year. Last year, it was run as the Hope Scholarship. They, they changed the name from voucher to scholarship. And the, the ultimate goal is just to take public money and use it to pay for private and religious school tuition, as well as homeschooling. It it failed last year. The governor promised to veto it. And so this year they've repackaged it, and they called it the Utah Fits All Scholarship, and they connected it to a $6,000 raise, $4,200 in in actual money raise, and then $1,800 in benefits for 
uh, teachers all across the state of Utah, which really helped bring in rural legislators and get their support for this thing because they don't have private schools uh, in most of the state. And so uh, by connecting it to this money, as well as rebranding it as this new scholarship program, they were able to just push it through in the first couple of weeks of the session. And like you said, everybody else was completely surprised. The only people who saw this thing coming were legislators. This was the execution of a plan that they'd been working on for some time. And you got to hand it to them. They, they did it uh, very effectively. It makes it look like they're giving teachers a boost from what I'm hearing from SLEA, though, Salt Lake Education mm-hmm. Association, of which you're a part. It doesn't cover for inflation, leaves out hourly and classified employees, and is a trade-off that only takes money out of public education. Absolutely. And you've never seen big-hearted people so sad about getting a raise in your life <laughs> as, as teachers are about this raise. I've, I've been fighting for more uh, funding for education and higher pay for teachers as long as I've been a teacher. And now that we got it, this moment where we should be rejoicing, we should be allowed to have fun with it, we're not because it's connected to this poison pill that diverts money out of the public schools that we love and into the hands of people who don't need it. And Jennifer Wozniak, another teacher, is joining our Zoom conversation literally as we record this Zooming in. Hey, Jennifer, how you doing? Hi, doing great. Hi, John. Hey. Introduce yourself to our listeners, Jen. Sure. I'm Jennifer Wozniak. I also teach at Meadowlark Elementary with John Arthur. Um, We've been teaching for 10 years together. Um, And I teach fifth grade. So my students get to have John as their sixth grade teacher. I also um, really involved in the Salt Lake Education Association's um, union and uh, I'm the chair of the Political Education Action Committee. So Jen, John and I were just talking about HB 215 and what he called a poison pill for teachers who said, you've never seen a group of people more sad to get a raise because it also comes with, uh, what is it, $42 million for this voucher or AKA yeah. scholarship program, Jen. Yeah. And I think it's just, I called it being hoodwinked. I mean, that's what the public's being right now. They think that it's this great thing for educators because there's this bonus, um, but it's not really addressing the issue of pay for teachers, uh, addressing the issue of needing to keep teachers in the profession of bringing great teachers to the profession um, from out of state, because we have so many people coming to this great state. Um, But it then thinks that it was just, it was just shifty. It was sneaky. It was the fox in the hen house kind of stuff, you know, that um, they pushed through what they tried to call a hope scholarship last year, you know? And so what now you just like dressed it up a little bit and like through teachers, you know, through teachers out in front of the bus for um, the public to see and say, this is what they want. And this is what you want. And so we're going to give it to you both. And it just really should be separated. Well, and it Mm -hmm. seems to be a tactic this session to pair a carrot and a stick kind of approach, which is taking us next to removing the sales tax on groceries. Another poison pill, to use your your mm-hmm. phrase, John, is that, okay, we will do this if you then uh, 
uh, <laughs> allow us to tap income tax for anything, but that requires a constitutional amendment. Jen, what are your thoughts on that? I think that when you're trying to make an amendment, a constitutional amendment, there needs to be a lot of education that goes in, you know, that's involved with that, because you're talking about something that then creates the precedence, right? I teach fifth grade, so we talk about, um, it's where the kids learn about uh, U.S. history, you know? And so anything that is a constitutional amendment, I think needs to not be so easily now used. You know, um, I've just, I've seen it over the past few years, a bunch of constitutional amendments being brought up. And so for one, I don't think that that should be a tactic. So John, um, feel free to jump in too, but to yeah. get to get them to say yes to repealing the grocery sales tax, they want to decouple the uh, constitutional provision that all income tax goes to education. And they've been chipping away at that slowly. It used to just be for public education, then they added higher ed, and then they added services for folks with disabilities. And so now they want mm -hmm. to take that constitutional prohibition of tapping income tax for anything other than these uses so they can more broadly manage um, the budget. But my question is, do you trust lawmakers since they have not seen fit to put adequate resources, despite the hundreds of millions into public education, to truly raise us from last in pu per pupil spending, John and Jen? Yeah, I don't trust them to do that at all, because there has been this kind of pat on the back that look at how much we could do. But, you know, we're, we're like dead last in spending and we barely make it to like mediocre and they're okay with that a lot of times. And so I don't trust um, the legislature to uh, to want to to do right, you know, for education here in the state. They want to, you know, use the cheapest, cheapest Band-Aids to go ahead and try to um, fix what is, you know, a... A system that doesn't have enough support and that isn't being it isn't being looked at the way that you know people from other countries look mm. at their teachers look at their education systems you know it's just it's um not the right thing to do well yeah. and john it's even... just been a month since prominent utah lobbyist allison Sorensen was caught saying she wants to destroy public education she's tried yes. to backpedal other republicans have been moving away from that remark but it's definitely the quiet part said out loud it feels like john yeah there are so two things jen said that you can look at other countries you can look at other states that that uh, do a better job of prioritizing uh education, public education in particular. You don't have to look very far to find examples where it's going well and where people are doing right by their kids and their educators. But on that point of trust, there are a lot of really fantastic legislators who are doing the best that they can as citizen legislators to, to meet the needs of our state. And the, the problem that I always have is that when they when the legislature looks at education and they look at teachers, they never just let us have something nice for ourselves. You know, 215, we get a raise, but it comes with this thing that we inherently hate. They, they put out a joint resolution thanking teachers about uh, all the work that we did, and not just teachers, but school staff throughout the pandemic. 
But then it was also connected to this thing about curriculum that was clearly just something they had to put in there about local control to satisfy other other stakeholders. Now we look at this uh, conversation around removing the earmark on income tax being used solely for public education, and they're 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 basically holding us hostage or holding hostage the sales tax on food and telling us you really care about those communities you serve you really care at Meadow Arc Elementary about those those low income uh high poverty need students who who all qualify for free and reduced breakfast and lunch you really care about those kids you want to help their families you want that sales tax on food removed right well we will only do that if you give us open access to that income tax pot. We've got these two pots of money in our state. We got the income tax and we got the general fund. They want both. And they want to be able to use both for whatever it is that they want. And so now they're they're taking advantage of the fact that we care so much and we love so hard and and using that to compel us to do something that is not in the interest necessarily of public education in our schools. Well, and voters if would have to approve it in a vote. To well, change the constitution, to and, <laughs> so you don't even have an agreement. Know is that you don't have an agreement, and they know that if we come out strong against it, especially as complicated as it is, it's a hard sell. So if you're going to sell it, you need teachers and and folks in the education community to say this is a good deal for us, because otherwise, especially trying to read it, I don't know if you've actually looked at the the possible language around it but it's basically taking this thing that makes perfect sense public uh public education is paid for by the income tax right and removing that and replacing it with to to make up for stabilization and inflation and so on and so forth we're going to take this and we're going to move from article 10 to this like it's so complicated it's just like what happened with the gas tax before and the the whole move around our schools now trying to get more funding into education you put things that are complicated on the ballot, the only way they pass is if the people who you look, deal with directly, your kid's teacher, you ask them, what do you think of this amendment? If your kid's teacher says, no, it's awful, it's likely to fail. So the, the legislature needs us to, to participate, but they don't come to us in good faith and, and talk. There are legislators who do, and I want to I give them a shout out, but Overall, it's more of a situation where they say, we're going to do this thing and you need to get on board. And if you get on board, we'll give you this. But if you don't get on board, we're going to do it anyways. And you can just deal with the consequences. Well, and, and lawmakers. That's, that's, not, that's not a healthy relationship. Yeah. And lawmakers also voting to decrease the state income tax because they want to. This is the GOP. Um, cut taxes, cut taxes. So then the source yeah. of public education funds, which they then want to take the earmark off of, well, how do they cut taxes? They cut income taxes. So Isn't it just seems something? like a whole Pandora's box. And I'm yeah. curious what Leah's going to do. Yeah, well, they just on that point, they're saying this income tax pot is so big, it's so flush that we could take a, a, a significant portion of it, like almost a half a billion dollars, and just give it back to the highest uh, rate paying or the highest uh, income taxpayers. That that pot is so big, and yet this year maybe will be the first year that we fund full day kindergarten throughout the state. 
right? And and there's never been enough money before to do that. This year, though, it's so flush. We're going to give money back to people. We're going to fund this program. And that's their evidence that we need to now open up that fund to everybody uh, who wants to use it for all the other programs in the state. We are Zooming a conversation uh, with John Arthur and Jennifer Wozniak. And now James Tobler, president of the Salt Lake Education Association, has just joined our Zoom conversation. And James, go ahead and unmute yourself. We have just been diving into HB 215 to the the deal to drop the grocery tax if the earmark is dropped on income tax for strictly public education. And we've been going down the rabbit hole with uh, John and Jen on why they think this isn't a good idea. And on Friday this week, Salt Lake Education Association and other education stakeholders plan on rallying at the Capitol at 3.45 p.m., hopefully once this snowmageddon is behind us, James. What is it that you want lawmakers to to hear on Friday when you all rally? Well, educators are feeling attacked, and uh, we feel like there's just a, a, a real concerted effort to dismantle public education. And we love public education. We we love our students. We love that it's accessible to everyone. We love that Utahns uh, send their kids to public schools because we want to, we want an educated populace. And so we've kind of, you know, as teachers, as educators, we've dedicated our lives on a certain level to education and to kind of see this uh, piece by piece dismantling of public education is really worrisome. And so we want to let let our educators know that this is education is important and it should be a priority. And instead of tying the hands of teachers with curriculum transparency bills and limiting our academic freedom and take diverting money from public schools to private schools and um, making education less accessible, for a big chunk of our population because, you know, private schools wouldn't be required to accept students with disabilities and special needs and, you know, English language learners. Um, yeah, somebody needs to speak up. And if it's not teachers, who's it going to be? So we're, we're, we're going to get together and rise up and rally. So I understand you're inviting folks to join you and also wear red, James. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the Red for Ed movement is a national movement um, to kind of show our support for public education and for the teaching profession. So we we invite all educators and people who care about public education to join us on Friday at 345 at the South Capitol Steps. And we're just going to make some noise. It's going to be loud and proud and we'll make it pretty quick. So what's a good um, website or social media for folks to check out the details? Uh, probably the uh, Salt Lake Education Association Facebook page uh, has an announcement and with the with the information. James, I'll put all that info in the show notes. Any last comments, James, Jen, or John, on uh, the folks listening to this who may not have kids or their kids have aged out? Why it's still important to stay stay engaged on this issue, James? Yeah, I just I just say it's it's the public good that we have an educated. Uh, population here in Utah. We want we want students to to understand the basics, but also develop their own critical thinking skills so they can think for themselves and develop their own opinions and that they're informed opinions. And we're kind of seeing uh, we're seeing people drift away from that. And so 
uh, I think everybody would agree that education is important. And yes, public schools have their problems. And, um, you know, a lot of us are very active within our public school community to address those issues. But the answer is not to defund our schools even more than they're already defunded. We're already struggling and, and you know, trying to hire tutors and, and things like that. But um, yeah, let's let's double down. Let's invest in public education and make them stronger and attract and retain the best educators to, to Utah schools. Jennifer Wozniak. I say, you know, like you, you're having us on. That's so fantastic. Asking the educators the questions that you want to hear their voice about. And so if you have questions out there, you're a part of, like you said, the public, maybe you have kids or maybe you don't have kids and you want to know what's happening within education or what it's really like being a teacher or being in this system and, you know, the, um, the weight of what's being decided without a, our input, um, ask an educator. You have education questions, ask an educator. So thank you for having us on for sure. You're welcome, Jen. And John Arthur, you're going to get the last word because you will be back next Wednesday with your kids to talk with us about what they say they need, which is the subject of your new video, viral video with them. And we'll talk about all that next Wednesday. But what do you want to leave folks with tonight, John? Well, I appreciate you bringing up those kids because what they talk about in that video is they want to have a bigger say on everything. And if they don't learn how to tackle difficult conversations, if they don't know how to negotiate hard conversations with all kinds of different people, they don't learn how to do that in school, where are they going to learn how to do that? And whether it's your kid in school or just kids in your community we are all in this together. And right now what you're listening to is three educators who are passionate about what we do. And when we show up on Friday at 345, you're going to see a whole lot of people filled with love for children, for, with love for public education, who see what's happening to this thing and these people we love. And we are not going to take it laying down. We are going to stand up. We're going to rise up. And this is the beginning of our response. We've, we've been hit by this barrage, much like this snowmageddon has, has sent us to our homes. But now we, we meet in community like this and we rise. And it's time to figure out what it is we're going to do forward to not only stand up for public education, but to improve it over time. Check tonight's show notes for all the details on Friday's rally with the Salt Lake Education Association. And my thanks to James Tobler, John Arthur, and Jennifer Wozniak for Zooming with me earlier today for this conversation. Up next, Nick Burns and a celebration of the Greater Salt Lake Alumni Chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority, part of the Divine Nine. For our teachers, a little inspiration to get us there. Rise up from Harper and Midwest Kind right here on KRCL Radioactive. Rise up, hold on, rise up, hold on, rise up, hold on, rise up. Hey music nerds, come out and test your knowledge at KRCL's first ever Women Who Rock Trivia Night celebrating International Women's Day on Wednesday, March 8th at Mountain West Hard Cider. 425 North, 400 West. 
Doors open at 6.30. Trivia starts at 7 with tickets at the door to benefit KRCL. Hang out with other KRCL fans. Win some great prizes, including women who rock gear, Egyptian theater gift cards, fanny packs from Planned Parenthood, and more. It's Women Who Rock Trivia Night, Wednesday, March 8th, International Women's Day. Details at krcl.org. KRCL amplifies the work of community nonprofits like the Utah Black Chamber, an organization dedicated to serving the economic needs of Utah's black community and improving the lives of black professionals and business leaders across the state. More details at utahblackchamber.com. Support for Radioactive comes from Mark Miller Subaru and the Love Promise Community Commitment, a partnership with nonprofit organizations that aim to make the world a better place. More information about the Love Promise and Subaru products at markmillersubaru.com. This is Radioactive. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for tuning in tonight. At 7, it's Democracy Now! Root Awakening with Liz at 8, Maximum Distortion with Forgash and Cody D at 10.30, and John Florence with a brand new day, hopefully minus the snowpocalypse, starts at 6 a.m. The last two weeks of any show can be heard on demand at our website, krcl.org. Better yet, download our mobile app. Doesn't cost you anything. Get it wherever you get your apps, and then listen when you want, where you want. Now it's time to celebrate 35 years of Delta Sigma Theta sorority in Utah. So let's pass that microphone to KRCL co-host Nick Burns. Laura, thanks. Next on the show, it's Delta Sigma Theta sorority. They are celebrating their 35th anniversary, the chapter here in Utah. The sorority itself has been around for over 100 years. And I've got a group of wonderful ladies to tell us all about their 35th celebration that's upcoming. And just in my mind, this is a fantastic organization that I wouldn't have thought would be here in Utah, but indeed it is. So Tamara Stevenson, Vice President of Diversity, Inclusivity and Equity at Westminster, CDO at Westminster. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Nick. It's so wonderful to be here and for you to welcome us to talk about our sorority and this amazing accomplishment to be for our chapter to be in Utah for 35 years this year. And how long have you been a member? I've been a member for this year will be the ninth year. So I actually became a part of the chapter uh, just a couple of years after I moved to to Utah back in 2012. So 2014. And how's it feel to be on this end of the mic with me asking you the questions? Because I know listeners know you. It's a little weird, but I am so glad to be able to talk about something I love. And of course, I love the broadcasting angle to share information, uplifting information. So I'm trusting you, Nick. Oh, well, you and I, most listeners know my background is faculty in communication. And you, of course, were an associate professor of communication at Westminster. Um, And before we get to our other panel members, there's a lot of educational experience in this local chapter. Um, a lot of graduate degrees, uh, doctorates of education. Is that true for the most most of the chapters? I know it's a professional group, and we'll talk all about what all you accomplish. But there's just a lot of educational power here. Well, yes, uh, our 22 founders, many of them were uh, educators. The 
sorority was started at a historically black college, Howard University. And so many of our founders were uh, studied education or studied uh, various fields, you know, at the in higher education. And so they also moved into careers where they were either the first or one of the first or one of the few to really advance knowledge, racial uplift, and uh, uh, just a purity and a love for excellence across the board. So I think you see that that same spirit across our our members across the world. Well, I want to talk about that excellence, but let's introduce other folks here. Clastina Mahan Reynolds, also in education, also a doctorate of education. You spend your day as a principal um, at a middle school, and thank you for that work. Thank you for having me. So tell me a little bit about how you ended up in education and how long you've been a member. So I have been a member. It will be 13 years this year. Okay. Um, and I ended up in education. I always wanted to do things um, with kids, and I always did in high school and in college. All my jobs were basically centralized around kids. And so it just so happened that I continued. <laughs> and are you born and raised in Utah? No, I'm originally from New York. I have been out here for 18 years. I'm from, I hail from Westchester County, New York, Yonkers, New York. And I've been out here in uh, the Great Beehive State for 18 years. What brought you here? This job in the school district? No, um, <laughs> I took a huge pay cut when I came out here <laughs> um, from New York. <laughs> well, you were in, well, and you were in a union state too, but that's probably yeah. beyond our conversation tonight. Yes. Um, so my actually my daughter's father uh, brought me out here. He works for soccer. And so, ah. um, yeah, so I came out here with him. And did you work your way up or were you a teacher before you became an administrator? Before you came I was. Yes, I did work my way up the ranks. Um, I came out here with six years of teaching under my belt and I continued to teach when I came out working in Salt Lake City School District. And then I went to Canyons for a couple of years, went back to Salt Lake, and then I went to Park City School District, and now I'm in Murray School District. And as you said, 12 years or so as a member of Delta Sigma Theta, was that important to you when you moved here to join this organization, to join the sorority? Had you been a member? No. So when I first moved here, I honestly, I didn't know much um, about the Divine Nine. I did have a um, aunt who was part of the Divine Nine, but it wasn't something I am first generation college in my family. And so when I moved here, it was the amazing women that I saw in the community that that really um, kind of, they struck a chord in me. And that's why I really wanted to join Delta Sigma Theta. And for fake folks who don't know this Divine Nine, explain that. Oh, so the Divine Nine, it's a group of the Black fraternities and sororities. Yeah. And again, for folks familiar with the Greek system, there is um, this nine sort of, I want to say, Black Greek system as well. Mm -hmm. um, would you say overall that the, the you know, it, I, I'll go out on a limb here a little bit. It seems for a lot of the white fraternities and sororities, the service component doesn't seem to really rise to the top. But for you all, this sort of community service seems front and center. 
I think that's the crux of who we are. And I think mm -hmm. my sisters on this call would agree and they'll chime in. Um, that is the real importance for us. It's going back and serving our communities and remembering from whence we've come, right? It's it's because of others that we are, right? Ubuntu, right? And so that's why we do what we do. And I think that that's what kind of puts us in a different category. It's not just us socializing and fraternizing and enjoying each other. Of course, we do all of that. But it's also another component of really giving back to the communities in, in, in which we are who we are because of those communities. Exactly. Let's bring in our third guest, Bettina Smith Edmondson. Uh, we're keeping you from a high school basketball game. So thank you for taking time to join us. No problem. Anything for the sorority and the cause. <laughs> oh. And folks folks will know you as a Layton City Council member. Correct. And born and raised in Utah, correct? Yes. The unicorn. <laughs> <laughs> so how is that perspective different, I wonder, for, for you to be uh, um, a Utah lifer, I guess I would say, and come to this organization as opposed to folks from New York or who've moved from elsewhere? Well, so it's unique for me um, for many reasons, but although I'm a lifelong, you know, Utah resident, born and raised here, I come from a family um, where my father was a member of the Divine Knight. So my dad is a member of Alpha Phi Alpha Fraternity, okay. which is the first of all of the Black Greek letter organizations founded in 1906. And so I knew about, you know, the Black Greek system, my parents both graduated from HBCUs, um, grew up in the 60s in Mississippi. And so I come from a history of understanding what um, what education meant and means to our community, as well as the connection um, and the, I don't want to say privilege, but it is a privilege for us. But I would say just understanding what these type of organizations mean historically to the Black community. Um, you know, as many have spoken before, not just on this call, these organizations were um, basically, we weren't allowed to participate. And so when we had individuals who were in college, who were getting an education, um, these organizations were ways for us to not only socialize, as was mentioned earlier, but also to organize and to bring those you know, who need to come up behind us, as my sorority sisters mentioned. In our sorority, we have um, a statue of fortitude on the, ca the campus of Howard University. And that statue, it depicts the image of a woman with a hand behind her and a hand uh, ahead of her. And the whole idea of that is that we're moving forward. Education is the means by which we're doing that, but we're not ever leaving those behind. And so while we're moving ahead, we're also bringing people along with us. I mean, that's that's really well said. And that sculpture, you know, people can see it on, on the web, website easily enough. But that notion of a hand ahead and a hand back, I think sometimes for white fraternities and sororities, it's just, you know, you get in because your dad was in or whatever. You all bring people along. And the way you describe it is something very different. I mean, it's much more, I'm going to lend a helping hand you're not going to be here simply because you have the privilege. Correct. And that seems and it's pretty mainly, amazing. It's mainly to understand that we are, as um, Sora Tamara mentioned, we're, we're providing uplift to the community. 
And so, I mean, you can be in, you can be exclusive, which we are to an extent, don't get me wrong, but we are exclusive to provide inclusive inclusivity, if that makes sense. And yeah, so there are, um, you know, there are ways and means by which all of those things take place. And so while there are folks who want to be a part of the sorority, there are things that we look for as well. And education, sisterhood, service, these are all things that we look for in a person who wants to join. We will have people as well who want to be in because, you know, mom, grandma, auntie, sister, cousin, or whatever, who is a part, but we really are putting education and scholarship and social action, social justice, community service, we're putting those things ahead. And if that's what your goal is, um, as someone who wants to join, we look for those things specifically. I mean, you are clearly a group of extremely educated professional women, right? It's not just you didn't get in because you can make a good Mai Tai. Correct. <laughs> so Tamara, Tamara, I'll bring you back in here. This notion of sisterhood and service. Take us through a little bit about what all Delta Sigma Theta accomplishes here in Utah. So the four pillars, as I like to call them, sisterhood, scholarship, service, and social action. Those those pillars work together, coordinate, collaborate uh, for to inspire us and guide us strategically in the various activities, events, and programs that we engage with uh, in the community in the in the best ways we can. And as I uh, think I mentioned before, we actually came to start the interview. Uh, when you think about how these programs will evolve or, or or what they'll look like depending on where you are. And with Utah's black population at at about you know two uh, percent, it's certainly we certainly have to be thoughtful on how we implement our our programs. So we talked about the mentoring programs, Delta Gems and Delta Academy. And I'll certainly ask my soars to to uh share other programs as well because there's so many that I might not think of all of them. And what's also so uh, uh, useful is that when we bring our gifts and talents to the to the chapter and to the sorority, we gravitate toward those programs that kind of align with our interests, our skill sets as well. So I'm always passionate about social action and political awareness and involvement, which is one of our five uh, point programmatic thrusts. The other four are educational development, economic development, international awareness and involvement, and uh, mental, physical and mental health. And yeah. so all of those have, those are various working committees. And we're also always appreciative when we can partner with other local organizations, again, to uh, engage in social uplift, racial uplift, that benefits all of us here in Utah. Oh, thank you. Bettina Smith-Edmondson, you are the planning chair for this 35th anniversary committee. And to hear Tamara talk about all that you do, how do you tie your work to the status, the economic status, I guess I want to ask, of women who are Black in Utah? That seems an issue ongoing. Yeah, so um, I think that may be the only one, Tam, I think you may have missed was the economic uh, development. And that is also one of our five-point programmatic thrusts. And 
Um, as far as the event itself and tying that to, you know, what we are doing, we have a couple of events coming up. Um, one event that we're holds that we're holding this Saturday that actually Tamara is the chair of that event is going to have a panel that is focusing on basically the state of the black woman in Utah. Um, and I'm sure you're aware of the research that's been done. Um, there was some research commissioned by Zion's Bank and some other individuals and we'll have a panel of women who participated in the research for this, um, this information and they'll be presenting that on Saturday. Um, and basically what we do is we use every opportunity that we have to provide uplift, provide resources to educate and to, again, bring people along because we know that education is key in order for people to move out of a situation that they might be in, um, move, moving into better circumstances. But not only with education, you also need support. And that's something that I believe as well our sorority provides is a support, you know, a support system for individuals to find themselves in whatever circumstances they can find themselves in. Um, you mentioned at the top of the uh, the top of the interview that we have a lot of educators, um, and we do. I'm not one of them by trade. You know, I was a tutor, and I still do things like that. But we are in so many different markets, so many different areas, so many different arenas, and that helps us to remain relevant. It helps us to provide the resources that are necessary for people to move ahead, move up, and, you know, kind of be a part of, of that dream that they can realize. Because a lot of people talk about a dream and talk about, you know, the bootstraps and the pulling yourselves up and all of these things. Um, but as we know, there are some people who don't have the boots. And so we provide those, those resources, those framework opportunities to allow people to reach you know, whatever that next step is that they need yeah. to reach. When you talk about support, it's it's very, it, it it's so broad, you know, so often, and I think this can be a limitation in Utah. When people talk about education, people only think about jobs and income. If You know, if you have a college degree, you can make X, Y, Z more money over your lifetime. But helping women get educated helps with family life, it can help with domestic violence or escaping domestic violence. I mean, there is so much that can be done when you give somebody, like you say, a helping hand, that hand reaching back from the sculpture. And I think what you all do as a as a sorority really seems to encompass all of that. Um, do you think in your work that around Utah, that is understood, the the broad breadth of what your sorority accomplishes? Or do you think people kind of just put you in a black sorority box? You know, I, I don't know, honestly, what people around Utah would think or put uh, what okay. box they may or may not put us in. Um, but honestly, to me, that's not necessarily important, uh, as important as what we actually do. And um, getting our name out there is great. But I mean, we've been around for 35 years. And so we're going to continue to do what yeah. we've been doing, regardless of who knows about it. Um, but I, I think that it's important to elevate the work that um, Black women are doing. And we're doing a lot. Uh, people know that we're doing a lot. They may not always connect um, the dots to different organizations. 
And many of the things that we do, we're doing outside of the organization. Um, mm. One of my sorority sisters would always say that when we are um, looking for people to become members of the sorority, we're looking for people who are already working. You know, not necessarily people who are who are looking for something to do, but people who are already doing things um, because deltas are, are generally busy anyway. So we're doing we're doing the work and we're so grateful to be honored and to be recognized for doing that work. But we don't do the work for the recognition. Yeah. But I mean, Bettina, Layton City Council, planning chair of this committee, MBA from Weber. Um, Clearly, if you want something done, you ask the busiest person. <laughs> Clearly, as my sore class team has, has mentioned, oh. uh, she twisted my arm a couple of times to do this event. And I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> I said, if I get help, I'm down and I have help. I mean, you know, these ladies are great. Um, the best of support, the best of support systems. Um, you know, it, it is a sisterhood in yeah. every sense of the word. Um, true sisterhood and you need people that's something that I can't stress um, enough you know in, a, in addition to all those things you mentioned you know I have a full-time job I have church work I have a husband I have children you know I'm, I'm in high school and kindergarten and preschool at the same yeah. time so there are a lot of things that we are all juggling all the time but we can prioritize what we need to do and when we need to do it. And we can lean on one another to make sure that we get the things done that are going to help to uplift and build the community. And that's really our goal. And the more we come together and do that, um, you know, there are other organizations that help as well. It's not just us. Um, we were the first and we're proud to say that there are other organizations here as well who are doing great work and we all work together to come to that same outcome. Christina Mahan Reynolds, bring you back in here. You are the president of the Greater Salt Lake Alumni Chapter. Uh, we talked about your work as a principal working with middle schoolers uh, and probably their parents off and on regularly. As president of this organization, when it comes to educational outreach, does the work of Delta Sigma Theta reach down to, you know, 12-year-olds, 13-year-olds? Or are your, is that focus more on sort of college or high school? I think <laughs> I think it reaches um, newborns. Uh, like Bettina ah. said, like Bettina said, many of us um, are moms and our kids see us doing this work. Her sweet little son is with her right now. So um, it, it does reach down just by mere fact of who we are, right? Um, with our with our children, with our offspring. But I think in addition to that, um, Tamara had mentioned, you know, our our educational thrust, right? And so there are there's programming that we're doing, not just in isolation with education, with our Delta Gems and Academy, with our young ladies, but also everything that we do um, is in the name of educating others, right? So Tamara talked about um you know, social action, political awareness, Councilwoman Bettina on the line. I mean, every opportunity we get, we are educating in some capacity. So yes, it reaches newborns, as we say, from cradle to the grave. <laughs> now, and you raise a really good point there that I hadn't thought of till right this minute. You as moms, I mean, you are involved in education from day one. I mean, you are leading out by example for your daughters to grow up seeing moms who are on the phone, doing this, going to meetings, making stuff happening, running for city council, serving on city council. I mean, 
just the fact of your existence is pretty amazing in terms of educating and bringing youth along. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and I would say, Nick, moms and aunties. Okay, aunties, good aunties, yeah. I am I am Auntie Tam Tam. <laughs> oh. And I try to spoil them, but also, you know, be an example, be, you know, support the, the moms as they are raising these children, these lovely, beautiful babies in the 21st century America that where we know so much of how to talk to our children about tough topics, how to talk to our children and support uh, support the babies as they are, again, one of the few or one of the only children of color in their schools. And to, to that racial uplift is so important that um, when they're in spaces where they might not be affirmed in who they are, that they have spaces outside of school where they know that, they know who they are, they love themselves, they love uh, all aspects of themselves and they're seeing role models in, in the community. And so that's why this is, is so important as well. You, uh, you also talked about, you asked uh, Councilwoman uh, Smith Edmondson about the work of the sorority. I would add that I think that visibility is about raising awareness about the experiences of Black women in Utah. That's why that report that we're going to be talking about with the researchers at our Founders Day event is so important. Research about Black women have been has been uh, under-researched, um, neglected, dismissed across all sectors from education, employment, housing, healthcare. And so our sorority has a, has a mandate to uplift uh, those experiences so that we can get some equity um, mm -hmm. around our existence in Utah. I, I just heard the phrase recently, narrative drives policy. But if the narrative is either uh, non-existent or minimal or misrepresented, that influences what policies get developed or revised or shaped. And it doesn't really benefit those that those uh, policies are intended to help. So it's really important that the narratives about the myriad narratives, right? Cause we're yeah. not a monolith, um, that those narratives are accurate, they're representative and they come from the direct primary source that yeah. we're talking about from the experience, not just about it. And if I've heard one thing from you three tonight chatting with me, it's that you are creating your own stories, right? Um, story is everything, right? People can understand stories. Tell me a little bit more about this Founders Day event. This is Saturday the 25th, 8.30 until noon. It's at Zions Bank. Tell me what to tell me what folks will, can expect. Sure. I am so excited that uh, this uh, Founders Day event is an annual event um, that the chapters across the country, across the world do in some sort of uh, in some sort, form or fashion to recognize our 22 founders who on January 13th, 1913, founded this beloved sorority of ours. And so each year we honor them by reading and reciting their names, reminding us uh, about how our sorority started, why our sorority started, what our first public act as a sorority was, which was to march in the 19th 13 Women's Suffrage March. 
So our founders, these 22 black women, black college educated women uh, joined in that march, marching alongside, at least attempting to march alongside those white women for the vote, even though black women did not fully get the opportunity to exercise that vote until the civil rights movement. So we were already thinking about gender solidarity as mm. well as racial solidarity, although it wasn't quite equal, right? It wasn't mm. that same, we didn't get, it wasn't reciprocal. And so each year we get to talk about that and uh, remember that and remind us of why the work of the sorority matters. And then we also highlight local, uh, our local charter members. We talk about our programs that we're doing. We're talking about ways we can partner with other local organizations uh, to align with our goals and our five-point thrust. And you mentioned the status of Black women in Utah as a focus this Saturday. And if I recall correctly, Representative Sandra Hollins will be part of the panel. Who else can folks expect? So this panel is of three researchers, and it will be moderated by Dr. Paula Smith at the University of Utah, who is also a member of our sorority. The three researchers are Marin Christensen, Dr. Tasha Toy, Dr. Jesse Hill. The three of them uh, worked on the report that was uh, released by the Utah Women in Leadership Project. And then we'll have remarks from Representative Sandra Hollins, who is also a member and soar of our ah. chapter as well. So this is, we're just seeing the excellence that exists in our chapter and in our sorority. So we love being able to highlight our own and to show the great influence that they have in this state. Well, that's telling your story. Yes, it is. Oh, <laughs> Faustina, as president, we only got a couple more minutes here. As president, looking at your website, you guys, you gals, you don't mess around. I mean, when you hold a meeting, you don't want people to show up in jeans and flip-flops. Um, you uh, you keep it very real, I want to say. I think that's kind of cool. I mean, very few groups can pull that off in this day and age of informality. I think um, it's just it just is a tribute to our Black excellence. Um, <laughs> we exude Black excellence as women, and we don't play around. We do bring the fire, and with good reason, right? We are mothers, aunties. We are professionals. We have a duty to, to whom much is given, much is required. So we're here to serve. Uh, well, thank you. I think it's a fantastic organization. For folks who don't know, again, part of this divine nine, the Greek system, but what you all do seems really a step above and beyond. Bettina Smith Edmondson, member of the city council up in Layton. Um, you need to get to a basketball game, but I wanted to ask if you had any final thoughts about this upcoming event on the 25th, or you've also got this 35th celebration in May. Yes, thank you for that opportunity. So um, I think Tamara has covered the event on this Saturday, the 25th. We do have an event coming up um, in May. On the 13th of May, we'll be actually celebrating our 35th year. Um, as she mentioned earlier, our sorority, um, our chapter, Greater Salt Lake Alumni, um, was chartered May 1st, 1988. And so on the 1st of May, 2023, we'll mark our 35th year. So we will be ho holding a 35th anniversary gala that will be on Saturday, May 13th. Um, it'll be again around 6.30 p.m. at the La Meridian in Salt Lake City. 
Um, you'll be able to find information about um, this event on our website, and it will also have tickets on Eventbrite. Those tickets are available now if you'd like to attend. Um, it is a gala, but it is also a family-friendly gala. Um, but as you just mentioned, no jeans, flip-flops. So we're going to dress to impress, <laughs> and we would like you to do so as well. We invite you and any of your listeners to come join us and learn more about our organization. We'll be recognizing and honoring um, women, uh, those who are elevating the work of Black women in Utah. And we will be focusing um, these these honorees around our five-point programmatic thrust, which was mentioned earlier. So we invite you to come attend. Oh, thank you very much. Bettina Smith Edmondson, member of the Layton City Council, and you are the planning chair of the 35th anniversary. So I hope whatever side you're rooting for tonight at the game, I hope they win because your brother's one of the coaches. So thank you for taking time out of what must be a heck of a schedule to join us tonight and best wishes for this 35th. Thank you for the plug. Go Knights. <laughs> and again, the website here, uh, utahdst.org, Sisterhood Scholarship Service and Social Action. Claustina, you're the president. How long have you been the president? This is my third year, my second term. Good for I you. I like to actually coin myself as the pandemic president. <laughs> oh, the president of Zoom. <laughs> So any last words? Nick, I just want to say thank you um, for having us all on. I truly appreciate it. And thank you so much. We hope to see you. I hope you join us in our events as we celebrate our 35th. Well, and thank you for all you do as one educator to another. It's a very thankless job, but it's really, really rewarding. So thank you. And thank you for taking time to join us tonight. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nick. Good night. Thank you. Radioactive's Nick Burns in conversation with Dr. Tamara Stevenson, Bettina Smith-Edmondson, and Dr. Clastina Mahan-Reynolds, members of the Greater Salt Lake Alumni Chapter of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority. The panel discussion happens Saturday, February 25th. We've got details about that event and the 35th anniversary gala planned for May in our show notes. Questions, comments, suggestions? Send an email to radioactive at krcl.org. Tomorrow night. Rising journalists from Salt Lake Community College take over the show. I'm Laura Jones. Thanks for plugging into your community with Radioactive, right here and only on KRCL. Have a great night, everybody.